Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that should have been played by John Huston's dad. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we're here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with my dad, who has three times as much hair on his chest, Joe Reed. May I put my shirt back on, please? <laughs> uh, I do think that the pit obsessive community will oh, yeah. really gravitate yeah. towards this movie. They're sleeping on this one, for sure. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know... Uh, the listeners, I know that there, there's always a portion of our audience that's like, now really, you guys, trust and believe. Uh, assume, this is just one of those movies that we're talking about that, like, the expectations were there before people saw the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. like, you know, there's just some movies where it's just like, we're like, yeah, that definitely seems like a thing that's, you know, in the ether going to happen. And then people see it and they're like, well, that's not, no, the <laughs> the, the uh, Academy establishment is not yes. going to go yes. for a movie uh, right. where, you know. It's a one where the buzz was on paper and then people saw the movie and they were like, even this is at Cannes, right? And then yes, people were this like, this is at Cannes. And it's, it's somewhat of a victory lap for Lanthimos too. I mean, victory lap after victory lap, mm-hmm. um, kind of because, you know, Dogtooth gets the surprise nomination. We'll get into it. And then it's mm-hmm. followed up with the lobster, yes. which, you know, kind of runs a gauntlet and then still gets an Oscar nomination. Yes. And we'll talk about that. And then you get to Killing of a Sacred Deer, which feels like such a leveling up. It's a reuniting of Colin Farrell and Lanthimos. And you have Nicole Kidman. And In her second Colin Farrell movie of the year. <laughs> this is the, this is like... When... Big Little Lies was kind of a victory lap from this year, right? Because Big Little Lies is yeah. after this. Yes. And in 2017, she has a huge year, a huge year at Cannes. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it feels like a moment, right? And like, Nicole yes. Kidman is such a director-driven yes. performer that it's just like, well, of course she's in a Yorgos Lanthimos movie. And it's probably It would feel weird amazing. if she if she wasn't going to be in a Lanthimos movie. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I thought when I was watching this movie is, and it was just like the first note that I wrote down, is how many times has Nicole Kidman played an Anna in a movie? And it's really only birth. But like, it, doesn't it feel spiritually like she's just played like Anna after Anna after Anna? Like, she looks more like an Anna than she looks like a Nicole. 
You know what I mean? In terms of just like, you know, people who like look like names. Like I don't know. I feel like I can't wrap my brain around that because even though she's Nicole Kidman and like no one has the name Kidman. So it's like that's a singularity. But like sure. I do think that in her legend status, she has achieved like single name status of Nicole. That yeah. it's like she is known as Nicole, a very yeah. average mostly white lady name yeah but like when i just say to you nicole you know yeah. who i'm talking about right it's yes. like madonna but for like stacy yeah for the record there was a uh a pro wrestler in the late 90s early 2000s named billy kidman who was this like twinkie high flyer who wore jean shorts and i do want to uh throw something on his name because he's the only other kidman i've ever encountered in pop culture <laughs> so um He's very cute. Anyway, um, anyway, um, I'm excited to talk. Long about this story movie. short, uh, yes. this movie. Uh, I mean, like it felt like you know, ah, uh, maybe when it was you know playing oh. in the fall of like a twenty four, also doing their victory lap because this is the year after Moonlight, mm-hmm. and it's like I don't know, but if anybody can do it, it's them, and it's yeah. just like I think well, by the time this movie hit like its platform release and was in more theaters and basically died. Yeah. It was like, well, no. It's the most crazy. it's the Yorgos Lanthimos movie that feels the most like his Greek movies. For one thing. Sure. You know what I mean? His it feels more like Dogtooth and Alps like the lobster did. And afterwards like the favorite did. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And Lord knows what poor things is going to be. But poor things looks like a combination of his Greek stuff, his American, whatever, his more Western uh, stuff, and something. It looks new. like you know, there's the something movie that the favorite makes like something like a hundred million dollars worldwide, and it's the movie that he gets this very large budget, and he's making yeah. a two and a half hour uh, weird sex movie, Terry Gilliam looking kind of uh, thing. feminism thing, yeah. Um, yeah. By the way, we're also doing this episode the week that Poor Things was originally supposed to come out. That's right. And when we're talking scheduling, we're like, do we want to move the episode? And we're so tired because we've been doing so much. And we're just like, no, we don't don't have the energy to figure out something else. So also, Poor Things is in Venice, everyone. So we're talking about it still. Um, I'm so excited for that movie. And it doesn't, I don't know when I'm going to be able to see it because. I currently don't know if I'm going to be able to make New York Film Festival happen at all. I don't uh, and care. even if I can I... make it happen, I don't know what like New York Film Festival lasts for weeks and I'm going to if I go be I'm going to probably try and pick like 3 days to be there and if it's not there those 3 days then I'm not seeing it till December sure. and I mean, I understand all of that and I understand the eagerness to see things and to cover things as much as you can. I'm I'm taking this year to just be for it to just be more for me and for me to like have a better head on my shoulders. Cause I will say last year I did not do a good job of getting out of the house and like most of the stuff that was in theaters. I did. I was lucky enough to get to see at TIFF. So it's like, well, I may not be covering it. So, but like, TIFF isn't really offering us that option this year. TIFF doesn't. Like Tiff is being is is a is this is going to be a weird Tiff. I will say that not to get. I too will say it, what I am 
really nervous for because there's so much there that's like a lot of on paper potential and you know open for like sales like a lot of these movies i was gonna say a lot of unsold stuff a lot so much so many world premieres and like there's a lot of world premieres that it's like Mm -hmm. out of nowhere it could be a thing and maybe it could be a thing the way that cake was a thing where it's like right well this is gonna have a media cycle even though the movie is terrible there could be like a still Alice there somewhere. So I think of when I think of sales at Toronto, I do think of still Alice, but I also think of that movie. Was it called Kodachrome? The, the, that um, was a Netflix movie that went to TIFF already it, attached it, to Netflix. No, it sold at TIFF. I remember because I remember emailing my editor and being like, this just got sold to Netflix. Should I try and find a way to see it? And I ultimately couldn't, but um, that no one watched it when it was came on Netflix to nothing. And had a different it came title. to nothing. So like, yeah. I'm, I'm unsure about this batch of unsold movies coming to TIFF because of the strikes and because of my unproven. And yet I still think it's probably true notion that a lot of movies bailed on Toronto at the last minute that that a lot of these unsold movies just sort of got bumped up to gala status because a lot there was a lot of movies that that vacated those spots and so the Tony Goldwyn movie and the Ethan Hawke movie and the uh Anna Kendrick movie. These are all actor directors. All these movies, movies that I have Keaton to see movie. because I am covering them and I right. am like great. All of these movies where actors are, are are directing and a lot of them are directing for the first time. I I feel like and a lot of those are the unsold movies. I think a lot of those are just like we probably won't see hear much of them until twenty twenty four. Oh, I, th- I definitely think that that's the more realistic realistic scenario yeah. that like these are movies that are getting sold for distribution for yeah. next year. But I mean, I don't know. I have some skepticism. Like I'm not a festival programmer, certainly not one at the level of like TIFF. But like, I just don't know if these like agreements and like contracts get signed that quickly that, you know, that. It would I would imagine that there strike. are escape clauses up until the moment that things are announced, is my guess. But, but I like, don't know either. I don't know anything either. But then where do you find all of these movies to fill their spot, like, overnight? I don't. I just don't know. Well, I think they were probably things that were going to be special presentations that got bumped up to gals. And then, sort of, like, there's a ladder and, like, things just get sort of, like, moved up the ladder. I don't know. Um I don't know. Again, I could be talking completely out of my ass. At this moment that listeners are hearing us talk about this, we will be at TIFF, so... Almost, yeah. No, we'll be there. Well, no, wait. uh, Yes, this is... We're preparing to go to TIFF, so... Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Whenever you listen to it this week, uh, follow us along. I'm not someone who loves doing immediate reactions on Twitter, but uh, you can see my logs on Letterboxd. Uh, Also, if you're there, listeners... Feel free to say hi. That's true. Chris loves it when people say hi. Uh, w- no, I mean, last year I got to meet some listeners. They were all lovely people. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not being sarcastic. You genuinely love it when people say hi. You are a much more personable person than I am. This not is that a I'm lie. Like... I'm so much more stranger danger than you are. In certain contexts, yes. In certain, we love whatever. hearing from listeners. I'm not so an unfriendly hi. person. I'm just a, uh, I don't know. You are you are much person. more 
uh, laser focused on getting to your destination of like blah blah blah. That is one billion percent true. I so will see people like, who be like, oh, you are I saw less you. aware of your surroundings than I am. One billion percent true. I am. I have a destination to get to, and I am getting there. Yeah. In the event of calamity, Chris is going to get you to the exit. Joe is not. Yeah. <laughs> Chris is already going to know. Uh, Chris is going to know when the last ferry is leaving for the night. Yeah. And we'll get you. There. I will get there quickly if somebody tells me where to get there. But like, I won't be the one who like knows my surroundings while I'm sitting around there because like I am I am I am tunnel visioned. You are absolutely correct. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I'm 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 usually so anxious that like I know everything happening in my immediate <laughs> bubble. Um, okay, so poor things. I'm gonna be honest. Probably the th- my most anticipated movie of the year. Yeah, um, it's up there for me. It's definitely up there for me. Papa, Yorgi, now the Challengers has moved to 2024. It's it's probably moves up a slot. You really so, yeah. want to watch those tennis boys? Fuck. I mean. If you don't, that's on you, my friend. But <laughs> that's that's a you problem. Not that's a, a you problem. problem. Not a not a um, me problem. Yeah. And to bring it back, not elegantly, to killing of a sacred deer. This was my first tiff, and probably the movie I was most excited to see at that festival. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had not ac- yet acclimated to what it is like to be at a festival. Now I'm like, I know how to. You know, whatever it is that marathon runners have, that they know how to measure out their energy for their whole entire run or race, whatever. Right, right, right. I'm there. But, like, I saw this movie basically willing myself to stay awake, not because of the movie, but because I was so run down on, like, day two. (laughs) So my recollection of that tiff was you were at were you at the thursday morning call me by your name with me or was or were no. you not at that one no. okay and so, i didn't see this with you no uh but we saw so i saw the the early morning call me by your name with katie and with a bunch of other people um then you and i saw happy end the michael hanukkah movie amazing movie and then i went right to killing of a sacred deer which was that was my that was my third and final movie of that day um, so you must have seen it then later in the week. Yeah, I saw it at whatever the TIFF premiere would have been with Nicole mm-hmm. Yorgos and oh, Colin Farrell nice. in attendance. Yeah. Um, and like the Rafi Cassidy and Sonny Soljic, uh there. And I was like, maybe these children shouldn't be watching this movie. <laughs> um, and like the uh, as, as the movie begins, which listeners, if you haven't watched this movie, it opens on extreme close-up open heart surgery and it's not even it is open heart surgery but it's mostly just an open chest cavity with a beating heart that is and it's real because they filmed a real surgery which is first of all fucked and horrifying second of all (laughs) when i texted you last night this fucking movie that's what was going on when that happened because First of all, I think you're under the mistaken impression that I don't like this movie. I really like this movie, but it also stresses me the fuck out. And that especially, I do not need to be looking at, because it's not just that it's a an open chest cavity beating heart. You don't know how chaotic and fast a heartbeat is until you've seen it 
open and f- right in front of your face. It looks and like zooming a- out in slow motion from above, as if from like an unfeeling god. It looks like an <laughs> alien creature. It looks like something is writhing around in your chest, and it's beating rhythmically. But even as it's beating rhythmically, it doesn't seem like there's an order to it. It seems like chaos and disorder as this like muscly gross looking it's like, like muscle but also like those flailing arms but it's a lot people it's like a living gross creature Uh, so, listeners, the uh, the craziness of a beating heart uh, fully like stopped our uh, internet connection. So that sound you heard of, I don't know, Taylor Dane, tell it to my heart, uh, <laughs> was us stitching our audio together. Anyway, it's an insane opening shot. And when I'm in the like TIFF crowd for this audience, A, I'm in like a semi-dazed state because I'm so physically tired at this point. That I'm just like, oh shit, this is great. Mm-hmm. So, and like the disquiet that went through the audience and stayed through the whole movie. And then throughout the movie, I felt like I was half awake, but the only person laughing in uh, whatever beautiful theater it was in. At what parts? I mean, this there are many parts that I would laugh at too, but like I would, I'm kind of not to know. parts of this movie. Can you? Well, kind of... it's it's not an it's not a wall to wall laugh riot. I'll say that. I mean, this I do think that this this movie constantly is like, oh, do you think this is funny? Let's see if we can keep you laughing. I do think this is maybe the bleakest comedy uh i've seen in uh recent years yeah uh in terms of like it does kind of invite you to laugh at gross things really dark violent things sometimes but i do also think it's uh it's just like the level of like the the scene where I love the way that the brother and sister are like competing with each other, especially more and more as the story goes on. And the, the scene like, where the kid, the little kid, Bob, the MP3 player, player scene. Oh, that's so funny too. Can I please have your MP3 player uh, when you after die. you die? No, the scene that I'm talking about is when Bob on his little like army crawl into the kitchen, being like, "I'll take out the garbage, Dad. Do you want me to go water the plants, Dad? Like anything you ask." It's very funny. Well, and when he's you know crying blood, and Colin Farrell is like wiping his eyes away, and at this point, they're both children are fully trying to convince their their parents to kill the other one. Yeah, and he's like, "Dad, who's your best friend?" Yeah. Who's your best friend? And he's like trying to get him to say, You're my best friend, son. And it's very funny. It's it just... is funny. It's so dark. It's like it's 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 bad and wrong, but it's very Yorgos Lanthimos in that way. People so. people like people categorize this movie as a horror movie. It is. Um, it I, is. I think Chris. it's a comedy. It can be both. It can be a dark comedy. It's there's it, this is a horror movie. It is. It's a comedy. <laughs> Maybe this is where we decide uh, that we are very different people. I don't know. You, I, I, I was dubious we, when you kept being like, maybe I just like difficult crazies. protagonists more than you all year through your, through our previous episodes. But maybe you and are you're built just a like, little Chris, different. Chris, maybe you're fucked. <laughs> maybe, you... maybe you are just built a little different. Like I said, there's, there's, there is, there's a lot of dark comedy in this movie. But like, yes. this is a horror movie about 
a weirdly omniscient teen who can like, I don't know. Okay, I wanted to get into this later because this feels more like a sum up. Yeah, it's a more like a sum up thought. Actually, before we get too far into this, why don't you? It's time uh, to plug. Plug our Patreon, and I will prepare for the sixty second plot because it's a lot. Listeners, you've heard about it in the previous weeks. We're here to remind you that our Patreon, this had Oscar Buzz Turbulent Brilliance, has launched for only $5 a month. You can get two bonus episodes. One of those episodes will be called Exceptions. Those drop on the first of every month. Movies which fit the usual This Had Oscar Buzz rubric of great expectations and disappointing results, even though they got Oscar nominations in the end. Uh, We've already got episodes on nine, and just a few days ago, we have an episode on Pleasantville. They're already waiting for you. You can go and listen to them. The second bonus episode every month that drops on the 15th uh, is uh, a little bit more of a departure of our regular format. We call the them excursions we're talking about ew fall movie previews things like recapping old award shows patreon only mailbag episodes Uh, our first excursion episode was about my experience going to magic mike live and soon in a few days we will be talking exclusively at length just about the 2016 hollywood reporter actress roundtable the pinnacle of the form for many If you've of us. ever seen Chris File tweet a gif of Isabelle Luper, you 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 will finally learn the origin stories behind all of them. Reach so. out and touch Faith, my uh personal Jesus, Isabelle Luper, uh, <laughs> especially in that round table. Um both the person who least wants to be there but is also having the best time and is the most supportive to everybody. We'll yes. get into it uh on that episode in in a few days over on our Patreon which you can sc- subscribe to patreon.com/thishadoscarbuzz. Uh so yeah, sign up for this had Oscar Buzz Turbulent Brilliance and we'll see you there. Yeah. For now, we will see you in the city of Cincinnati. We'll see you in hellish, the hellish depths the of hellish the Cincinnati Midwest. Hospital. Yeah, this movie, yeah. this movie. One of the reasons I love it, of course, is because it's like the nuclear unit and like the the part of the American dream that's about the perfect American family, the perfect nuclear unit that's toxic and horrible, and. Uh, this movie maybe is like, well, maybe it's also evil. <laughs> um, Here's my Cincinnati question for you. Yes. Is how are you going to have a scene where your creepy teen character goes to town on a bowl of spaghetti? And it's not and Skyline. Not just, and not just make it Skyline chili. Like, just like, like go the extra mile, Yorgos. Come on now. Come on, man. But maybe that's unsettling. Maybe that's one of the unsettling things about him is that he would have the option for Skyline chili and instead, instead just goes for regular spaghetti. Listen... Uh, whenever you're feeling uh, sad and hungry, it's not Skyline time. It's Barry Keoghan time. <laughs> He's so fucking good in this movie. The, the fucking spaghetti scene, man. And I remember those of us who liked this movie and did not think that it was horrid because I'm sure that both some of, of us, us are both. We're... Some of us are both. Some of us <laughs> love this movie and also think it's horrid. Yes. Yeah, but there's people that think that this is a horrible movie. No, that yes. People think yeah. that this movie sucks. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they I think, were slower to the Barry Keoghan train, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Barry Keoghan in this movie is, like, one of my favorite breakthrough performances 
in a while. Granted, it's not his first time, you know, that we'd ever seen him, but... He was just in... He was this same summer was in Dunkirk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's the one that dies on the Rylance boat, right? I, yes. I'm, like, yes. 99% sure. Yes. yes. He's, like, sad boy in that one. He's, like, he's so sweet in that one. He's and very he, sweet. And then he's, like, the harbinger of death in this movie. Yeah. Um... I'm looking at his filmography. Well, we'll get into the Barry Keoghan filmography after the plot description. We really should. Do yeah, that yeah, work. yeah. Let's get into the plot description. We're pushing yeah. a half hour already. Well, yeah. I mean, we also have the the, the delay, etc. Snafu. Yeah. Listeners, Garys, celebrate this momentous occasion. We're here talking about the killing of a sacred deer, written and directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, also written by Ethemus Philippou, starring. Colin Farrell, Nicole Kidman, Barry Keoghan, Rafi Cassidy, Sonny Soljic, Bill Camp, and, wait for it, the great Alicia Silverstone. <laughs> the movie premiered in competition at Cannes, opened limited, just in time for Halloween, October 20th, 2017. Oh, but it's not a horror movie, but it opened just in time for Halloween. Oh, I see. I'm conceding oh, okay. to you. Sometimes I, I, I'm nice and I will let you have a W. Um, yeah, just in time for Halloween. <laughs> Joe's giving me a fuck you, just here. <laughs> uh, listen, we all have our roles here. My role is to be uh, the prick. Um, um, and I mean, the most rude thing is that Joe has to give a 60 second plot description of this movie. Truly. Yes. Uh, Joe, are you ready to do so? I am. I'm going to go long, but I am. So. All right. Then your 60 second plot description of The Killing of a Sacred Deer starts now. Okay, Martin is a teenage boy with hair in his armpits whose father has recently died and who speaks with an odd affect. He spends a lot of time at the hospital shadowing Stephen, a heart surgeon with even more hair on his armpits, though not three times as much as Martin, also hair on his chest, who speaks with an even more odd affect than Martin does. Stephen invites Martin over for dinner, and Martin meets Stephen's family, his wife Anna, teenage daughter Kim, and tween son Bob. Then Martin invites Stephen over to his less fancy house in his less fancy neighborhood for dinner with his now single mom Cher Horowitz. And Cher tries to make a move on Stephen, and then when he's like, nah, she's like, but my teenage son seconds. wants us to fuck and he's like nah nah and so uh anyway steven steven was two drinks in when he operated on martin's father which becomes important to know later when steven's children begin doing weird stuff like losing all function of their legs and being unable to eat food and singing ellie goulding songs and shit nobody knows why this is happening but martin eventually tells steven he's making it happen as revenge for steven killing Ten his dad seconds. unless steven makes the choice to kill one of anna kim or bob and then all three of them will progress to paralysis to not eating to bleeding eyes and death this doesn't seem possible but there aren't any other answers and now uh, Anna calls Stephen a pussy, so Stephen kidnaps Martin and ties him up in the basement, and Martin's like, I'm so fucking weird, you think this bothers me? Here's a tooth. And Kim asks Martin to cure her, and they'll run away together. And he's like, nah, and Anna tells Stephen all the things being equal, she should he should kill one of their kids, because Anna can always make more kids. And Kim and Bob try to suck up to their dad, so he'll kill the other one. And eventually, Stephen lets Martin go and puts a bag over everybody's heads and spins in a circle and shoots his rifle a few times and he, until he hits one of them, and it's Bob, R.I.P. Bob. But uh, honestly, he had his eyes already started bleeding, so he was probably a goner anyway. A little bit later, the three surviving members of the weirdo family eat lunch at a diner and Martin walks in and they're like fuck this there's a red robin down the block I think and Martin looks at him and is like yeah no I get it in the end 40 <sighs> seconds the end. Over. yeah good well, job um, first of all nothing funnier in this movie than the son's name is Bob um, one million percent with that like shaggy mop of hair and his name is Bob it's very funny uh, so good <laughs> uh, also uh, I'm so weird. Here's a tooth. <laughs> he looks like his name would be like, like Stefan or 
uh, um, Corbin, Sebastian, yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, Barry Keoghan is just like <laughs> that. That whole scene where he's kidnapped is so funny because he's just like tied to a chair and he's like, "What? Like <laughs> this doesn't bother me. I'm the weirdest person you've ever met in your life." And you that's know, saying things something. just are as they are, and uh, yeah. you just gotta accept what I'm telling you. And if you accept that what I'm telling you, then it's gonna be fine. Just yeah. kill one of your kids. Um, the scene where Anna is like, you should probably kill one of them because like, I can have <laughs> other kids. <laughs> it's amazing. It's, it's amazing. It's a very twisted movie that I am very much on its wavelength because sure. I think ultimately what this movie is, is like, it's questioning this family unit that like, they're so much about falling into the roles that they play as mother, daughter, father, son, mm-hmm. and adhering to it and wanting to be a good father, a good son, a good daughter, you know, the picture perfect thing. And it's like what that actually means and requires to them is nothing that any of them want. So like they're in this scenario that's like, well, you can just not do that anymore. But they're so like bent in the ways of like having to be this, you know, image of a thing that they're they, also like they're, they're not... willing to like die horrifically in order to be that thing. They're not not the third rock from the sun family. Like if you had told me <laughs> that they were like aliens playing the parts of like down to like. Nicole Kidman watering the garden at night, which was became like a little bit of a breakout like uh, thing about the movie after it screened at TIFF. Um, but like the fact that like Colin Farrell is speaking in his own his own Irish accent, but also like not quite his Irish accent. He's speaking like Graham Norton, kind of like that's what he mm-hmm. sounds like to me is Graham Norton. Um, Nicole has her usual like, is it still Aussie? Does it still it's. <laughs> It's one of those, like, are there enough particles of Australian in this accent to still qualify as Australian? It's one of those, like, you want to just, like, uh, get the measurement of it. Raffi Cassidy is not American, but she's speaking in an American accent. And the kid who plays Bob, who was also in mid-90s, is the only, like, him and Bill Camp are the only major characters who are actually American in this Mm -hmm. movie. Um, This also might have been the first time... I don't even know if I, like... I'm trying to think of, like, when is the first time I made note of Bill Camp in a movie? And it might have actually been Wildlife. Um, and then, I, and then you know that thing with the character actor where, like, the first time you really notice them and then you go back and you're like... It's like Anne Dowd in Compliance where, like, then you go back and, like, oh, Anne Dowd was in Garden mm-hmm. State and, you know, all this sort of stuff. I feel um, like... No, I feel like it was, like, around the time of this movie that we started talking about Bill Camp a little bit. Hold on. I'm going to go into his filmography really quickly. Give us the Bill Camp filmography. I love that the very first filmography we're going to go into in this podcast. (laughs) For this movie is Bill Bill Camp. Camp. The great Bill Camp. perfect. Um, Okay. His second... Okay. His first film credit is Reversal of Fortune. Iconic. Then he doesn't have another one, at least according to Wikipedia. And Wikipedia sometimes like picks up, picks up the, the highlights. Sure, is, sure, sure, is sure, sure. in and out He's in In-N-Out as Bachelor Party Guest, which rules. Um, it's a which lot of letterbox- 
which uh, not letterbox, which uh, laser disc is he holding <laughs> at the bachelor party? Uh, he's got uh, what? What Streisand movie? Yeah, he's probably got the way we were or something. Yeah. Um, Listeners, he, if you know or you have a screenshot, get at us. He plays Frank Needy in uh, Public Enemies, Michael Mann's Public Enemies, which I believe is the same role that Stanley Tucci plays in. Uh, road to perdition if i'm not mistaken he's actually in compliance speaking of uh and out which is kind of like character actor nirvana um that he's also in that movie although i can't for- remember um what kind of role he plays he along with his wife elizabeth marvel are both in lincoln he's in 12 years a slave which makes like 100 percent sense he's credited as crazy man in birdman um he was just we just talked about Love and Mercy. He's in Love and Mercy playing the uh the Wilson's awful dad. He's in Black Mass, that makes sense. Aloha, like uh 2016 he's in Midnight Special and Loving and Jason Bourne and Gold. Remember that movie Gold? Um so oh, like already oh. like it's really ramping up, but I want to see like what like TV, I imagine, oh, he's probably one of those people who was on, like, every single Law & Order. Um, four episodes of The Leftovers. Who was he on The Leftovers? Dying I have an idea know. for a bet, because we need a new bet. But I feel like you're going to agree with me. What? Placing a bet on how soon Bill Camp is Oscar-nominated. Oh. Character actors, it's so hard. Because, like... When it happens, it happens big, like a J.K. Simmons thing. But, like, sometimes it just never happens. Nominated, though. Not winning. Nominated. Still. But even still. Because you know what happens in supporting categories. They Okay. Fine. Then if you're disagreeing with me, I am proposing that this is a bet right here, right now. What are you saying? In five years, Bill Camp will have an Oscar nomination. So by the Oscars that honor the year 2028. Yes. Yeah, I'll take that bet. No, okay. I don't want. I hate to bet for Bill Camp not to get recognized, but like, I just think it's hard for character actors. I realize I am placing this bet in the year of Boo Boo His His Sound of Freedom or whatever the fuck it's called. That's true. Granted, That's true. he filmed that movie years ago. Eh. I and whatever, and character actors just take the roles that sure. that are available to them. But uh, you um, didn't know anything about those people. Yeah. Well, that's true. Uh, but anyway, TV shows he's in six episodes of Damages. He's in four episodes of The Leftovers. He's in, okay, The Night Of. 2016's The Night Of. I do remember him on that. Maybe that was the first thing that I really made note of him. Um, I believe he's the he's the cop, he's, right? He's the lead cop. I thought he was a, maybe I thought he was a lawyer, but no. Well, I never finished that show, I don't think. I maybe didn't either, but I definitely started it. Um if I finished it, I don't remember much after the first, like, two episodes. But yeah, so but by 2017, years. Sacred Deer, uh, Wildlife is definitely the one where, you know... Oh, and Molly's Game. Same tiff that I saw Killing of a Sacred Deer, I saw Molly's Game. And you definitely remember him in Molly's Game. Because he's the he's the responsible gambler who goes on tilt. Uh, and, and, and I don't remember him in Molly's Game. Oh, he's the, like, he's the, he's the good gambler until... Um, what's his name? Brian Darcy James, who sucks, comes in and wins a huge hand off of him by like oh, complete right. luck. He's the jerk. And then yeah. Bill Camp loses his 
absolute sanity and just keeps borrowing money after money and he goes like super on tilt and and molly finally has to like kick him out and he like gets divorced from his wife and all this stuff it's a very sad story um anyway i i think i i i might have i said maybe on the podcast one time but like i want a 30 for 30 on the um the the poker game where bad brad puts harlan eustace on tilt because like that would be like just like a fake 30 for 30 on a completely fictional uh well actually fact-based considering uh, it's based on true story sure, but anyway sure sure um bill camp rules bill camp in this bill movie, camp bill camp needs to be in another yorgos lanthimos movie he's like a perfect yes like supporting character yorgos lanthimos character like not that I'm saying John C. Riley is bad in The Lobster, but maybe we should go back and AI replace Bill Camp in that role. I don't support AI, but you're not you're not wrong. I, neither do that, I. Like that, but Bill like, Camp would be would have. Been that's good like in that's that role. the type of role that Bill Camp yeah. should be playing in every yeah. Yorkus Lanthimos movie. Bill Camp is also the most normal character in this movie, and he plays somebody who exchanges a medical file for a hand job from Nicole Kidman in the front seat of his car. So like that's Good the hand movie. job acting in this movie. <laughs> sure. He plays someone who shaves the cheeks off of a fish. Yeah. He does. That is, is the, the thing that happens. Bad? I mean, though, though it's like heightened because everything in this movie is heightened because mm-hmm. it's Greek tragedy. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like Alicia Silverstone behaves like a normal person would in this movie. She kisses Colin Farrell's hand after he like shows and absolutely she does suck on his hand. That's yeah, true. yeah. But if you if yeah. you think of all behavior and action in this movie like representative of something and not the literal action that they're doing, well, that's yeah, that's the movie. That's... She won't let him leave until she has his tart. Or has has her tart? He has her her custard her caramel tart. Yeah. Yes. Um, I wasn't not intrigued by the idea of a caramel tart. Um, we definitely thought that there would be more Alicia Silverstone in this movie. Oh, here's the other thing I want to tell you about Alicia Silverstone is I'm watching this movie last night, second time I've watched this movie, and I'm waiting for the part where Alicia Silverstone's character commits suicide, and I know it's coming, and I'm like, That's is the it launch. now? It's 100% the logic. I realized it at the yeah. end of the movie. I was like, did I did I nod off and not realize it? Like, at what point did she kill herself? And I'm like, wait a second. I'm thinking, I was thinking the of lodge, The Lodge. not a great movie. I actually kind of liked The Lodge. I, I I liked that movie it's fine. well enough. It's fine. Um, not a great movie, but a, but a good movie. Um, yeah, poor Alicia. You know what? She's better off without Colin Farrell. Although... Just gotta raise the psychopath weird. Okay, here's the thing I was I was gonna say <laughs> about Martin is I understand that this is like you say it's Greek tragedy. It's the title of the movie is a reference to the story of Agamemnon. I believe this is part of the Iliad. If it's not part of the Iliad, it's like you know, whatever. At some point in Greek, I took one class. In some ways, it is a modern day riff on this story of like someone being forced to kill one of their children. Yeah. I took one class in Greek mythology and I fucking loved it. And I'm kind of surprised that I never switched to being a classics major because like the stories were just amazing. Um, But so Agamemnon, who 
if you only know Greek myths from movies, he's the character that Brian Cox played in Troy. Um, uh, uh, is one of the big, he's one of the kings of the great sort of like kingdoms of, of, of Greece. And he's going to go to war. Uh, he's going to go into the Trojan war, but, uh, at some point, either on the way or before he leaves, he kills a deer in the forest. And that deer is one of the great, is one of, is sacred to the goddess Artemis. So she's mad at Agamemnon and she says to appease me, you need to kill your daughter, Iphigenia. And if you don't, I am going to like, Send, you must like, kill your daughter, Iphigenia Doubtfire. <laughs> <laughs> Help was not on the way for Agamemnon um, at that moment. Um, but she says, if you don't, then I'm going to send like these like howling, horrible winds, and you'll never be able to make it to Troy because like your the ships howling will winds will send a run by fruiting. We'll send a run by fruiting, and they'll knock your ships off course, and you'll never make yeah. it to Troy. And so, essentially, in the myth, the idea is. Agamemnon is faced with the choice of do I sacrifice my daughter or do I not participate in the Trojan War? And he kills his daughter and he goes in and and uh he goes to Troy and all of the Iliad happens. And then the part that's the part that's like pertinent to this movie. The other part of it is he comes back and his wife Clytemestra has married some other guy or like shacked up with some other guy and they kill Agamemnon. And then that whole thing leads to Electra, who was their daughter, um doing something else. I don't know. Sophocles, Euripides, yada yada yada. But anyway, the point of it is that's where the title comes from. So this is all this is Greek myth. You see it in a lot of the filmmaking. The shot of from like the very top of the hospital over the escalator when Kidman and the, mm-hmm. the kid are leaving before he collapses for the second time. Um, there's a lot of the the camera sort of like moving at these sort of omniscient uh, angles. Judgment and, of the gods material. Right. And Martin, the Barry Keoghan character, is also like weirdly omniscient, omnipotent. Not only in the... He, he you know, has seemingly figured out a way to... Uh, you know, uh, impact these children and make them sick and make them paralyzed and make them bleed out their eyes. And he's taking credit for it, but we don't know how he's doing it. He also seems to know things. He seems to know that Stephen was response. Not only was the surgeon in his father's surgery, but seems to know that Stephen was at fault in a way that like he wouldn't necessarily know. And he's, he's, he's weirdly omnipotent. And like all of those things, I understand. I understand that this is a movie where you're not supposed to know the whys of everything that's happening because there there are no answers. And yet, judgment of the gods. And yet, I watch this and I'm like, so did he like slip some poison into like their drinks when he was hanging out with them, or like, <laughs> do you think it's like a psychosomatic thing where he has some sort of like weird hold on him? Do you think that Anna would have ever gotten sick at all because she never even starts getting sick in this? And was it only with the kids? And is that because he never got close enough to Anna to poison it, or is it like some sort of like a uh, powder based neurotoxin? And like, that's just the way my brain works. I know that I'm not supposed to know the answers to this. <laughs> I know that Yorgos Lanthimos is is taking that desire to know things and using it against me. And we yet, are two very different viewers for this movie because you're the one that's like, well, if God exists, why does God let wars happen? And I'm over here singing, our God is an awesome God. You know, sure. I just go with it, man. But like, like 
I'm not I'm not a stupid person. I understand no, 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 that no, no, this no, is no. what the movie but like, do you know what I mean? But like my natural right. inclination, even when I am faced with a movie that I know is good because it leaves these questions unknowable. It's a more effective movie. It's a more unsettling movie. I like when a movie is fucking with me in that way. I still will spend a half an hour after it being like, I wonder how he did it. And I wonder, is he like, <laughs> is he supernatural? Is he like, is he some sort of like Greek God made man? Is he some sort of like a curse that was placed on Steven after he did this horrible thing to this man? And like, now he's on earth. Like, all of, there are no answers to any of these things, but I'm just saying, like, that's how my brain works as I watch I a movie I do think like some of why I'm like, it just is what it is, uh, and I can go with it, and it's not a barrier to entry for me, is a credit to the Barry Keoghan performance, because he's like, even he's like, I don't understand it, but it is what yeah. it is. I'm not omnipotent, but I'm again, just here to tell you what it is. And, like, his delivery of that makes it funny so i yes. go with it i um, go with it too like trust me i don't want to like give the wrong impression this is no, not no, a no. barrier to entry to me this is not you this just does not make me you like are still the left with a lot of questions but i also will have this experience while i do it and right, it's right, right, it's right, just right. sort of the way my brain works not unfrustrating for you no but like but that frustration is part of what's good about it i like I want a movie to make me feel something. And part of what this movie makes me yeah. feel, it's a good kind of frustration. There are ways that a movie can frustrate me that I think is bad and will, you know, make me not yeah, like yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's not the case with this one. Um, the things that this movie frustrates people on, I think, says so much more about the viewer than it does about the movie. Sure, yeah. Um, also, the things that, like, uh, people love about it probably also says more about the viewer than it does about the movie. Uh-huh. Um to say like I want to talk about the spaghetti scene a yes, little please. bit because that's heavy on my mind because in of, my like, mind in my memory that's he where ate that, that whole that's bowl the of spaghetti scene with where, his hands like, a lot and that of these questions come up too yeah because it, Nicole Kidman is basically asking the rules of it um, okay here's the thing I want to ask you because this is the th- and this is me this is maybe a fault of mine is that like sometimes I look for a little bit too neat of a symmetry, but like it's irresistible to me this notion that Colin Farrell is a heart surgeon and he behaves as if he has no heart, right? Nicole Kidman is an ophthalmologist. Is is it part of her character that she has is is seeing things part of that character? You know what I mean? Like I I mean I, maybe. I understand that that's too that's too neat and tidy of a way to look at these characters, but it's such a strong element of his character that like I I'm looking for it in hers. Do you know what I mean? Mostly to me, it just feels like an opportunity, a missed opportunity to have some gross eye shit in this movie. Oh, that's thank God! I already was stressed <laughs> out enough with the heart thing. Honestly, double feature this movie with De Humani's *Corporus Fabrica*. <laughs> anyway, the documentary you t- about like the human body in a hospital. No, um, thank you. But you uh, were talking about movie. you were talking about the spaghetti scene, which I just want to like. Yeah, in my memory. From, you know, seeing it the first time, in my memory, he eats that whole bowl of spaghetti with his hands. And, like, mm-hmm. that doesn't happen. Like, my mind no. just invented that. No. But it's, it's because just, he it's eats it so grossly. It's the largest mountain of spaghetti and the tiniest fork. That's what it is. And he and shoves like, it in his mouth, the fucking freak. What's so genius, what is so funny, what is so upsetting about the whole 
act at the spaghetti is that it is both absolutely ludicrous, but also entirely realistic. Like teenage mm. boys just eat like that. Yes. But like you haven't really seen that depicted in a movie in a way that is both heightened and real. Here's the um, other thing. As a single person who like makes dinner for one, I can't guarantee that I have not also eaten a bowl of pasta. That way. Like, <laughs> I, I can't. Either. I can't uh, get on my high horse about it, actually. You so. probably just don't eat it like that. <laughs> if I ever <laughs> saw the way I ate certain things, I'm sure I would be fucking horrified. So, um, I will say about that scene, though, it, it so much of the discussion gets put on both the plate of spaghetti and Barry Keoghan, but, like, Nicole Kidman rips that scene. Yeah, like, she does. The, she's so good in this movie, and I don't think got enough credit. There was a whole lot going on with her this year, and this movie weirdly felt like a footnote by the end of it and i do think that she plays a tricky character though i think she does and i think she she usually she's an interesting actress when she goes dark and i think there's some dark Mm -hmm. levels to this and she never really gets to be funny in this movie that much i mean maybe beyond general anesthetic which like (laughs) <laughs> that's that's one of the scenes that it's like i dare you to laugh you know um she that there's something so dark about that scene where she's like well this is my husband so why do i have to pay the price for yes what this is why should i have to suffer for what you're ultimately trying to do here mm-hmm. and it's because she's ultimately implicated in this too you know uh colin farrell's crime isn't that you know he killed martin's father on an operating table the crime is that he covered it up by trying to adhere to the like look at what an upstanding you know well uh, the other man and father i am the other thing is there's a when when martin is at the family's house for dinner when colin farrell invites him over for dinner he makes a mention of the fact that oh i don't live in such a nice neighborhood and i don't live in such a nice house and then you go to his house and like it's not as nice and suburban and fancy schmance as Colin Farrell's house, but it's not a dump. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it looks like a fairly, like, normal middle-class house. He's got a dining room. He's got, you know what I mean? Like It's a two-story home. There's a yard. You know, it's... But there is an unmistakable sense of, um, fuck this rich family with two doctors as parents and right. their moppy-haired little kid and as the daughter who sings ellie Goulding. that weird ass house man like only in certain parts of southern ohio wealthy southern ohio will you see houses like that where it's like yeah it's not a mansion but it has wings to the house like yeah. there's a full like staircase that goes up to like this weird like that L-shaped. basement that basement which is like semi-finished in that like there are walls down there and lights but mm-hmm. there's no furniture but it's fucking huge it like goes mm-hmm. on forever mm-hmm. yeah like a tooth <laughs> like a tooth <laughs> speaking of Barry Keoghan spitting out a tooth um i wrote down like 8 billion little bits of dialogue in this too um the part the first dinner they have when it's just the family where they're where Colin Farrell is getting on Bob's case about getting a haircut. And eventually it leads to this moment where Nicole Kidman just goes, you have lovely hair too. We all have lovely hair. (laughs) Well, because this movie takes place in a world where small talk doesn't exist or small talk exists. It's It's like biological or the shit that, you know, 
you're thinking about, but you don't actually say in small talk. But it's treated like it's small talk. Like they're at the they're at some gala thing, and they're like, "Our daughter just started menstruating." Yeah, which yep. like that was the one that like made our audience gasp. Like, what? Well, but it's but that's so funny because he says that to Bill Camp, and Bill Camp just goes, "Great." Like that's yeah. his response as yeah. our daughter started menstruating this week, and he goes, "Great." And that's it's, it. It, it, you know, that's what small talk is in this movie. And it ultimately is things that are domestic. Like, isn't our hair so nice? Or like, yeah. you are going through the passage of life. Like, uh, and like, there's a still, people like talk about the stilted language of this movie. And I think that's, that's what it is, is like, it's people saying mm-hmm. what they actually mean, or like mm-hmm. saying things that they wouldn't say in a public space but like ultimately those things kind of don't matter um these you know what what is significant and what like is uncomfortable in this world is not these like things that by the you know especially midwestern or whatever uh suburban upper class rule book of the things that make people uncomfortable to talk about like menstruation or like body hair here's my question to you they're ultimately not significant one of the things with this movie not a thing i struggle with but a thing i sort of like ponder about is i'm not always sure what a director is trying to say and i'm not always sure that i need to know what a director is trying to say but this movie is interesting because lanthimos has this reputation for if not fucking with his audiences like poking at him you know what mm-hmm. I mean? He's not quite Michael Hanukkah, but there's enough Michael Hanukkah in him. And Michael Hanukkah is obviously, like, Michael Hanukkah wants to, like, fuck with his audience and, like, sometimes, like, make his audience feel fucking awful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there's a there's an element of Lanthimos playing with the audience's sympathies and... W- is it possible to have sympathy for a family that behaves this strangely and this sort of like not like regular humans behave where like the 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 couple are having sex but they're having sex where she pretends like she's a corpse or the children are just so weird and nobody speaks in sentences that sound remotely normal and so when this like awful thing descends upon them there's a degree to which you're sort of watching this from like outside you know from outside glass a little bit and a lot of people sort of like criticize the movie for that but i almost feel like it's it's an interesting little experiment of like are these people real people because they don't really behave like real people and so is it I don't know, what does it mean then when, like, the patriarch of that family spins around in a circle with a bag over his head and, like, starts shooting indiscriminately? To randomly shoot them because he, you know... Right. Um, I mean, there is a certain level of Lanthimos that I think he is some type of disturbed humanist in that, like, I don't think he... I don't think he is uncompassionate because, like, some of the things he does are so, like, not upsetting in a Hanukkah way right you know that it feels like it's this you know treatise against certain parts of our culture but i do think he makes movies about human behavior and human behavior that we're not always 
uh, comfortable or proud to talk about. I think mm-hmm. even The Favorite is about that. Um, mm-hmm. I just rewatched The Favorite for about the 20th time. Spoiler alert, great movie. Spoiler, good movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, great movie about human behavior, you know? Like, yes. people, like, he can make a movie where it's just like like killing of a sacred deer or dog tooth where it's like well these are alien people mm-hmm. and he can make a movie set in you know period great britain uh but they're all ultimately about human behavior and like the way that we are as people when no one's looking maybe right. or the things that we believe in ourselves that are true or not true or we're ashamed of being true um and like movies about the social order too like the Lobster is absolutely a movie about the social order. Um, mm-hmm. The Favorite is a movie about how, like, we adhere to certain social orders, but we'll never truly understand each other on a personal level. Right. Um, and, like, this is the one that I think is closest to Dogtooth. Like, the this movie feels tied with Dogtooth, and I don't like Dogtooth as much as I like this movie, in that it is about, like, family units and like what is the social order of that like who are we supposed to be as people following in these own in these roles how much of it is like our adherence to a belief rather than something that is mm-hmm. i don't know i mean you say like you don't like always know like what a director is intending but like you can have your own ideas about it based oh and i do watching, I think. but i do you but do. like i like i like also you know you like the idea to... that w- there's an idea that's correct. <laughs> Not even that's correct, but like what a filmmaker might be trying to trying to say, you know, sure, and how sure, ex- sure. effective they are. Um, and sometimes that's valuable to know, and sometimes it's less valuable to know. Um, he's not what, really someone who's going to tell you <laughs> what he's trying no, to do. I don't think, no. I, you know, there's not a whole lot of, but I've dog not tooth, read a lot of, but dog tooth. It is easier to, you know what I mean? There's, there's, yeah. a, there's, it's easier to pull out of dog tooth. This idea of like dog tooth, by the way, an incredibly, like probably way more uh, pertinent to 2023, uh, the yeah. world in 2023 than it was, uh, when it originally came out in terms of... I will say, though, like, yes, I think you're absolutely right about Dogtooth. Dogtooth makes a lot of its ideas and a lot of what it's trying to say and do so explicit. And Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, that's why I think Killing of a Sacred Deer is a much more interesting movie. Um, Because, you know, there's there's the slipperiness of that. Dogtooth is anything but a slippery movie. Um, Right. Dogtooth, though, is good to bring up because that's where, like, the Oscar trajectory, however uh, unexpected, begins Mm -hmm. with Yorgos Lanthimos. Uh, It's not his debut feature. That movie premieres in certain regard in Cannes and then uh, is well-received. I think, did it win the... I believe Ma- so. It did it win in certain regard for Cam, I believe so. Yeah. But it's in the now international feature, then foreign language film race at a time when the executive committee existed. Mm-hmm. We cannot say, because we do not know, and they don't make that information public, that Dogtooth was what we consider an executive committee save. Right. Where the executive committee, when the shortlist is made, they, you know, the normal group of the Academy that's voting on the films to proceed in that race has their ballots and those movies are pushed through. The executive committee was a select group of uh, people who voted, changed every year, Mm -hmm. and they were... 
They were there How to make sure that, like, the most critically acclaimed foreign film of the year wasn't left off because it was not cuddly enough for... Difficult right. or, you know... They were there you know, because the of got four in... months, three weeks, and two days. Like, they yes, were... Yes, yeah. there was a lot of uproar about that movie not being nominated. Right. And it was seen because it was difficult, dark, and controversial subject matter. Mm. Dogtooth comes along and has, like... Explicit sex, uh, themes of incest, and uh, like horrible violence. To, yeah, uh, very violent movie. I remember people saying like even the even the executive committee is probably not going to go for this. Like I don't think anybody and expected it to get nominated. To, to the point nominated. that it gets nominated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what won that year? Uh, in a better world, the Susanna Beer. Right. And this what is was an interesting race, though, because mm, yes. uh, Susanna Beer wins, but there's also Inuritu for Beautiful, Denis Villeneuve for Ensemble's, and an Algerian film called Outside the Law. So right. you have, like, a bunch of major filmmakers. Some major, lineup. major filmmakers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, like, Inuritu had already been embraced by the Academy at that point, but this is also Villeneuve's yeah. entry into, like, the Academy Club. It's, it's, um, it is rare that, that a the international feature slash foreign language film lineup, even from a fair distance of hindsight, has three directors who would go on to be d- nominated in best director. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's significant. Yeah. And I, I think Dogtooth also getting that nomination. I do think it left some lingering hope for Killing of a Sacred Deer that it's like, well. If the Academy could go for Dogtooth, which is even more out there, and more explicit at least, mm-hmm. maybe there's a chance for killing of a sacred deer. And then, of course, you know, you have to have yeah. the conversation of, well, Dogtooth is a special case. That if probably... the killing of a sacred deer was in the foreign language, it would have had a better shot. Right, if he had made it as a Greek film. Yeah. Um, but he also made Alps between... What did you think Dog of Alps, Tooth? by the way? I love Alps. I mean, I like I Alps lo- quite a bit, yeah. I I love all of Yorgos's movies. I mean, his debut mm. Kaneta is I've very never much seen a debut. It. Yeah. <laughs> very much a debut. Um but yeah, I mean, one of my favorite filmmakers, you're not going to hear me t- knocking one of his movies. Um but I do think it you know, it starts the path for Lanthimos being in discussion for Oscar even though he makes these out there movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and partly because, like, when you're in a race like that, and, like, you're hobnobbing, and you're shaking hands, and you're meeting people, and, like, people start to want to work with you. Um, once the lobster comes along, the lobster premieres at Cannes, wins a jury prize at Cannes, gets distribution, was it with Alchemy? And then Alchemy folds, and A24 picks it up, so mm-hmm. the movie doesn't debut... Or not debut. The movie doesn't hit theaters, at least in the States, until almost a year after the can debut. And then almost another year later, last enough to get an original screenplay nomination. Uh, and, like, that's a movie that was even divisive for itself. You know, some people hate the first chapter of that movie. Some people hate the second chapter of the movie. Yeah. I was a little more mixed on The Lobster when I first saw it, and I've grown to love it more and more. It's um, so funny to me. It's such a funny movie. Yeah. Yeah. I don't love... I, I am one of those people who don't love the latter part of it as much. Once they're in the woods, once Leia Seydoux... As uh-huh. with many things, once Leia Seydoux shows up, I, I start to like it less. <laughs> you check out. Um, 
That's mean. I, I shouldn't say that. Lea Seydoux is fine in a lot of things. I just feel like, I don't know. Lea Seydoux in English language is not always made the most. It's maybe a blue is the warmest color thing, because I also felt that way in passages about Adele X. Artropolis's character, where I'm just like... <laughs> Man, no one wants to talk about blue as the warmest color anymore. And that's because everybody who went all in for that movie is like, well, maybe that movie wasn't as good as we thought it was at first. And it's like, no, that movie was never that good. Um, But whatever. (laughs) So uh, I like The Lobster a lot. I think that the second half of the movie... I find it so romantic. <laughs> um, okay, all right. Let's no, but like let's those, investigate this. I I mean, yes, it's a dark movie. It's dark comedy, and like that is a movie that I think, especially with the way that it ends, it's like, well, can you ever really be comfortable in a romantic situation? Can you ever really give all of yourself to a person? You know, Yorgos Lanthimos asking the questions that he always will be asking in his movies. But, you know, just the sequences of how they can't speak to each other because they're in this society where they can't show their affection and love for each other. And, like, they develop basically their own symbolic language. And uh, they do all of this stuff and they end up running away together. But then also when they, you know, given the opportunity, they can't help but make out on a stranger's couch while a weird song is being played. (laughs) I mean, that's yeah. romance. That's love. Sure. Um, uh, what is love if not that? Um, so you have these two movies that, against some odds, become Oscar nominees. Mm-hmm. You can see how the follow-up to that and also his return to Cannes would have that type of yeah. buzz along with it. Yeah, And we should talk about the Nicole Kidman's year. At this can alone. Oh, yes. Let's do that. It's she has this and the beguiled in competition, out mm-hmm. of competition, all of uh top of the lake China girl premieres, and there's how to talk to girls at parties. How to talk to girls at parties doesn't go over well. You takes love forever that movie. to reach theaters. I really like that movie. Yeah. Nicole Kidman is having the time of her life with the millennials in that movie. She <laughs> That's true. Is so kooky. Um I like that movie. I love John Cameron Mitchell. I love John Cameron Mitchell. I loved his previous collaboration with Nicole Kidman when they did Rabbit Hole together. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to love How to Gr- Talk to Girls at Parties, especially because What's-His-Face, Alex Sharp, uh-huh. is so good. I love that kid. So, like, I really, really, really wanted that movie to, like, pop off for me, and it didn't so much. And I couldn't quite explain why. It felt like... John Cameron Mitchell trying to make a Greg Araki movie, and it wasn't quite making it for me. I'm not quite sure. No two John Cameron Mitchell movies are alike. That's um, true. I think I think there's some expectations that people held against that movie that it was never even trying to achieve. I mean, like almost the presence of Nicole Kidman in a movie like that kind of does a bit of a disservice to it because people even though nicole kidman has done everything and excelled at everything Mm -hmm. people still expect it to be something different and Elle fanning being in that movie people expect it to be something different and it's this kind of shaggy goofy sweet little weird movie that i think is 
perfectly fun. Um, but Nicole Kidman also wins just to herself, uh, not even mention of the movies, just because she has so much going on there at Cannes. They awarded her the 70th anniversary yeah. prize at Cannes. Okay. Um, Talk to me about this, because when I did my little can pool for our little group of friends a couple of years ago, whatever, and it would have been what? the, the uh, We've been doing it the past two years, I thought. Right. But two years ago was one of those even year anniversaries. It would have been mm-hmm. 70. Every five years, sometimes that I don't think the jury is required to, but they have the option of giving an additional prize considered. And it's an just a prize for we like you. It, it they I mean they've given it to movies they've given it to just Nicole Kidman for doing a bunch right, of stuff right I don't I have a this God we're really getting into the many myriad ways in which I my do want to talk about this can though you what so I will I will I will allow it in a second I just want to say that like the way my brain functions I'm like what is this an award for and it's like what are you talking about we're giving an award <laughs> to Nicole Kidman and I'm like for what. And they're like, it's our 70th anniversary. And I'm like, that's not an answer to the question that I was asking. And it's just, and I don't know. I just need, I need, I need there to I be. I think what you're saying is for our, uh, for our anniversary episode, we need to be giving away 70th anniversary prizes. Uh, <laughs> when we hit episode 300, we're just going to give away a 70th anniversary prize. Sure. Hold us to this, listeners. Yeah. Okay, yes, for our 70th anniversary, make sure we do this. All right. Talk- We're going to give a 70th anniversary prize to Nicole Kidman. <laughs> we should. Talk about Can 2017. I, I hear you in concept because, yes, there should be parameters to everything. However, I disagree. <laughs> okay. Uh, because I like I like prizes, especially yeah. at Can. What I don't like at Can is when they give ties in every category. See, I like Please that. Please stop. Please I stop. like ties in that way. Let everybody okay. get a prize. Okay. Not everybody. If you throw in a um, couple of ties, it's not the it's not going to be the end of the world. I don't. This mind is that. the this is the can that uh, Pedro Almodovar is the president of. Uh, also, lots of fun rumors around it because, like, uh, Papa Pedro is a messy bitch who lives for drama, and he will talk about you. Wait, so talk to talk about that. You can't just drop that and then walk away from it. What He's were the talked rumors? about the jury experience for this. He's talked about specifically Will Smith. It is very funny to imagine Will Smith sitting and watching this movie. Yes, um, it is. It, that like Will Smith didn't love doing it. He'd he's also intimated that Will Smith was one of the people who. Uh, prevented BPM from winning the Palm. Right, we've talked about this before. Yep. There seemed to have been uh, the people who didn't like it. So Pedro that story, there might be some homophobia. That story that Will Smith was maybe the one who blocked BPM from winning the Palm. Not just Will Smith. It sounds like it was also Sorrentino. But that comes from Pedro himself. Uh. I think those rumors abounded, and Pedro. I forget exactly what he has said, but he said that. It, I, to the extent, I don't want to misquote him, but I do think he said, "Yeah, that was kind of why I felt uh-huh. this movie did not get the palm." Okay, and then they give the first palm, uh, Ruben Uslan's first palm to the Square, right. which is a movie that is fine. <laughs> um, I think it's a good movie. I think it's a good movie. BPM also, is obviously it, much better, but yes. 
Also in uh, this jury, Marin Ade, Marin Ade, please make another movie. Uh, Park Chan Wook, Jessica Chastain. This is when Jessica Chastain was also talking about how mm-hmm. shocking it was the lack of female roles being made by uh, some of the like leading filmmakers of the world. Yeah. Um, fun can. This is also the can that like starts all of the can versus Netflix stuff because right. both Ocha and Myra with stories are go right. back to our Myra with stories. We'll probably talk more about that there. Yeah, we're both BPM for the Palm people, right? Yeah, let me bring it up. Hold on one second. But yes, I think we've had this conversation before. I'm definitely BPM for the Palm. Um, hold on, listeners, go watch BPM. Great movie. Yes, indeed. Um, okay, so in competition, I think if I'm going for Palm BPM, I think we talked about this. Where I would take, I would give the Grand Prix to Meyerowitz story, uh, Meyerowitz stories, new and selected. Um, I'm trying to think of who I would do. I obviously haven't seen all of these movies, but I've seen probably about half of them. Um, I'm trying to think of like actors' prizes for this for this lineup. Ruth Nega for oh no, that's sorry, that's not Loving. That's a movie called Loveless. Sorry. Oh, I saw Loveless. Loveless was nominated for the Oscar, right? Yeah, that movie's fine. That's fine. Yeah, it's, it's fine. fine. Um, I don't think I give anything to The Beguiled. We should do that movie though. It's here at some point. Um, oh, this is the can with both. Um, you were never really here and good time. My feel Two bad movies, movies that show absolutely loves. my feel bad movies of 2017. <laughs> um, happy end, the Hanukkah movie that you like more than I do. Good movie, really funny movie. Okja, a movie that I like more than you do, maybe. No, I like Okja quite a bit. What if I gave my actor prize to Jake Gyllenhaal and Okja? What if I did that? Go off, sis. I love it. Like, that feels like a thing you would do at a film festival just to, like, you know. I, I think, I mean, I feel like uh, back in the days when prompts didn't annoy me, I think I did this prompt on Twitter before that it's like, BPM Palm, Killing of a Sacred Deer Grand Prix, Director Hanukkah, um, mm-hmm. Jury Prize Meyerowitz, Actor Kleisbang, Actress was, oh God, Diane Kruger for In the Fade, that movie we saw. I was together thinking about that too. Hated. Diane Kruger for In the Fade. Yes, I I actually think I would give my best actress to Kirsten Dunst for The Beguiled. Oh, that's not bad. Movie. Okay, and then I guess for screenplay, I'm giving it to. See, I don't like when they give two prizes to the same thing. So well, they try not to. Them. Yeah, right, right, right. Okay, here's what I would do. I would do. Palm to BPM, Grand Prix to Meyerowitz Stories, Director to Lanthimos for Killing of a Sacred Deer, Actor to Gyllenhaal for Okja, Actress to uh, Diane Kruger for uh, In the Fade. What did I say? Jury? Have I given jury prize yet? Jury prize to the square. Um, Screenplay to... I guess Happy End, a movie that I don't really love. Screenplay, which uh, Sacred Deer wins but ties with You Were Never Really Here. Screenplay always ends to seem, always ends up seeming like it's the consolation prize, like the one they wanted to give a prize to and never Mm -hmm. gave something to. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. 
And it's also like, it's the one that I think can says you can give it to a movie you've given another prize to that isn't the Grand Prix or right, right. the Palm winner. Because I, I guess I get giving screenplay to Sacred Deer. You Were Never Really Here is not really a screenplay movie. It like, really isn't. If you want to reward Lynn Ramsey, give her a director give prize. Give her a director. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, or like, give it, if you really like You Were Never Really Here, then give it to Joaquin. If you really like Good Time, then they give, it, give to... it to Joaquin. Oh, he does win. That's He does win actor. Joaquin then. wins and it wins screenplay. Oh, God. Ugh. I, 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 like... I don't know. I think that movie's fine. I think people were a little overblown about that. And I love Lynn Ramsey. It's but... so unpleasant. And I know that, like, I know that I'm being a baby when I say that. But, like... You feel very to what end about that movie. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Why am I watching people get their skulls bashed in by hammers? Why? Like, to, to, <laughs> to what end is a good way to put that? To what end is a good way to put that? Whereas, like, Good Time, I'm... I also find that movie tedious, but I also just, like... The whole Josh and Benny Softy thing is also just a barrier to entry that I don't love. I mean, I like Uncut Gems. I don't get why people love Good Time so much, especially the Benny Safty performance enough. I think like, Uncut Gems is okay. I think that movie <laughs> is all right. I think that's a movie. People talking about, like, I my heart rate was at something that I've never had before at, at Uncut Gems. It's the most tense movie ever. It's like Adam Sandler's in the fucking Diamond District, man. I think it's going to be okay. Like, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> I don't know. Jesus. Um, all right. We haven't right. talked about much about uh, Colin Farrell. We haven't. He's incredible in this movie. He's incredible. I think in this I've, movie. I think he was. No, he wasn't my best actor winner this year. But like, I was stumping. Um, Too little was made during the last year's Oscar campaign about uh, the Banshees of Inisherin that Colin Farrell and Barry Keoghan were in a movie together before. I know also Barry's in Batman uh, in the Batman, but they don't share any scenes, obviously. But like. Colin Farrell and Barry Keoghan should make a movie together every few years because they're so good <laughs> together. Like they're genuinely just fantastic together. And it's so funny. Uh, how much of them did you see on the campaign trail last year? Because Colin Farrell and I think they he clearly love the shit out of each other. They do, but Colin Farrell also gives off this like older brother, little brother thing where he's like where he kind of 100%. like he makes fun of them a little bit and it, it wasn't there like a photo of the two of them chopping wood together or am I conflating two separate photos of each of them individually chopping, chopping wood? wood I don't I'm unfamiliar with all this but now I'm going to have to look it up at some point because that sounds I feel amazing. like we need to ask Jason Adams this question he will probably know the probably <laughs> but like the vibe between them is so funny because it just didn't Colin have this whole thing on like multiple talk shows where he talked about Barry like eating all of the whatever in their little like because share they live together yes. during yeah 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 um just adorable but they're so good in their scenes together and Colin is the weirdest fucking character in this movie he's so so good just like buried in a mountain of beard yes. i mean listen we know i'm the thirstier of the two hosts yeah but like it for certain, it just can't, for certain types i i can't I, go unmentioned my uh primal okay here uh, we are. uh here we are we have arrived yeah uh, colin farrell is so sexy in this movie and 
I just need that on the table. I mean, you're not being controversial to say that Colin Farrell is sexy, by the way. Like, but I, in this movie, I <laughs> even in this movie, I think he's incredibly attractive. But like, it's not like Colin in this milieu really gets my engine revving more so than like Colin in in just Bruges. going for a jog. Right. Well, just going for a jog. But like Colin in like something where he's a little less. Um, I don't mind. It's not like I don't mind the beard, but it's just like he's he's a he's a big old weirdo in this movie. Um, and so so funny. I mean, so. the man can sell a joke in any type of tone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he's great. I think he's one of our greatest living uh, sure. actors, and uh, I'm glad that I was glad last year for Banshees, but it was just like it was never getting to the point that I thought. He deserved it. And granted, like, I don't love his Banshees performance as much as I do, like, this or The Lobster. Oh, interesting. Or, like, to be honest, let's just say it. I don't, I don't love it even as much as I love him in Phone Booth. Like, that's a movie star performance. That is right a there. statement right there. I did, I did not know where the end of that sentence was going to go. He is so good in Phone Booth. Phone Booth is as good as it is because he's that good. Make this a thing that you talk about more on social media. Like, become the guy who talks I about phone booth. I don't give the opinions there. All right, I don't give opinions there. wherever you give opinions. Then you should talk about phone booth more because this is a very interesting uh, lane for you. He's I so like good that. in phone booth. I believe you. I've seen it. Eighty it's minutes, also, all killer, no filler. I was going to say, like that Colin it, Farrell being a grade A plus movie star in phone booth. I could watch the entirety of it while I'm like standing in line for you know. Airport security or something like that. I should do that. <laughs> I should watch it next time. Um, yeah, Colin Farrell's great in this. What's he doing at this time in his career? Obviously, Lobster was 2015. Well, um, I mean, he's doing nothing. He is uh, on the picket line. No, I mean, when in, in Killing of a Sacred Deer time. Oh. Well, he's also in The Beguiled being fantastic. Having his body parts hacked off by these faithless wenches. You vengeful um, bitches. <laughs> that's right, vengeful bitches. That's what it is. Um, we don't talk enough about, uh, I mean, we could say this mostly, but I do generally have to say, we don't, like, we talk about Cats t- trailer drop day. We talk about Stars Born trailer drop day. Honestly, the Beguiled trailer drop day was a moment. It was a moment. Not as big as those other moments, but it was a moment. The uh, uh, Fetch Me the Anatomy book. <laughs> that's good stuff that's good the good stuff. stuff right there good stuff. um i wish i liked that movie more than i did maybe i should give it another shot um maybe i, mean, I liked it a lot when it came out and it really has faded from memory yeah. for me um you know what else he's great in, in the 2017? performances in that movie are great What's you know that? what else he's great in in 2017 what a little film called roman j israel esquire oh great movie great movie uh Top-tier Denzel Washington performance. Top-tier Denzel, but, like, I like Colin's performance in that. He's a he's a interesting little angle on that movie. I like him a lot. Colin Farrell's such a good actor. He is. He we is. need a redo on last year. Let's let's get him that Oscar. Um, I mean, yeah, of the top contenders, he would have been the one I would have wanted to win. I mean, I already had my money anyway, so, like, I was, you know... Uh, Tevia dancing with my fifty dollars of yours uh, down the aisle, but uh, but I also I'm going to get win. that fifty dollars back with my uh, Tevia Bill Camp dancing. Your Bill Camp, Bill Camp, Bill Camp would be a good Tevia. Could we he? could see that? We could see this. Is Bill Camp Jewish? No. Well, there's Alfred Molina. Well, but we've made we have established that Alfred Molina is like 
cultural tofu and that like anything you want him to be he will take on the flavor of so um uh, uh alfred molina is special in that way um whereas i don't know but anyway uh, uh plus well bill campus in fiddler in a big screen fiddler that's a that's a is that's... bill camp tavia just danny burstein yes like yes okay yes that's yeah, the answer you to your go. question does Danny Burstein ever get a crossover film role? Does Danny Burstein ever cross over to become a character actor in movies? He's in TV Hold, please, things. because Danny Burstein was fully in a movie one time, and I was like, you go, Danny Burstein. Because he'll show up in TV every once in a while, but he's still, like, he's one of those character actors who's really, really stayed theater guy, even though I think he would be a great character actor in movies. Why hasn't he been in, like, a Spielberg movie? Why wasn't he in Lincoln? Right. Danny Burstein's known for, are you ready for this? Yeah, give it to me. Michael Mann's Black Hat. Wow. Deception, the Hugh Jackman, Michelle Williams bomb. Uh, Ewan McGregor. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Stuart Little. Huh. And Brace for Cringe, Transamerica. Wow. Would have not guessed any one of those. All right. No. Oh, Danny Burstein's in Tick, Tick, Boom. Yes, of course. Well, that's a good like. I mean, crossover that, that makes sense. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. it feels like there should be, you know, more on-screen Danny Burstein performances. So Colin Farrell around this time, so he makes the Lobster that gets released in 2015. That comes after. Um, let's do from like In Bruges, right? Like In Bruges is a nice little. He gets the Golden Globe for it. He should have been Oscar nominated. Yada yada. And then he goes on this like run of lead roles in in very small movies or sort of you know movies that are made in the UK uh, or smaller roles in American movies where he's like he's the lead in Neil Jordan's Ondine. He's a small role in Crazy Heart. He's one of the replacement Heath Ledgers in Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus. Um, I guess he is the lead in. Um, no, he's not the lead. Right? He's he's a. He's a supporting performance in Peter Weir's The Way Back, which is a movie about how dirty human teeth and feet can get. In uh, <laughs> I've never seen that movie. Uh, it's a it's a it's a uh, an endurance test, I will say. Um, he's in that movie London Boulevard that I never saw, but seemed to have been on the release calendar for like years. I feel like it was just um, that movie in Brighton Rock. I felt like were like always, yes, always yes. about to to happen. Original, it's going to happen for Andrea Riseborough movie Brighton Rock. Yeah. yeah, he makes a series of mainstream movies where he's in Horrible Bosses. He's the lead in Fright Night, and he's the lead. In the uh, in Total Recall, the Total Recall remake, none of Fright Night people like. I've not seen that Fright Night, but I know people like stick up for the Fright Night remake. Um, Craig Gillespie's Fright Night. Rest in peace, Anton Yelchin. Yes, true. Um, he reteams with uh, Martin McDonough in Seven Psychopaths, a movie that I don't really like very much. Not Colin's fault. Um, he's Nothing in ever Colin's fault. No. He's in Saving Mr. Banks um, in 2013, which is also a supporting performance. Uh, 
2014's rough. 2014, he's the lead in Winter's Tale, which is a howler of a bad I need to see Winter's Tale. Have you never seen it? I'm going to scream my head off when I see it, I know. We're not going to have time to see it in Toronto, but if we did, we'd have a time. We'd have so much fun. You know what I hear is a Winter's Tale Serenity uh, level uh, experience? What? Ben Affleck vehicle hypnotic apparently. So we what is we need hypnotic? to watch hypnotic. It's the Robert Rodriguez like I think disappearing child movie with Ben Affleck that like briefly played theaters, but is a po- supposed to be like that level. Crazy. When did it briefly play theaters this year? Spring. Weird. I've never heard of it. Okay, I've told you about this. I've told you we need to watch hypnotic in one year out the other. That's so crazy. Okay. Um. Where are we? And then also, so 2014 is Winter's Tale, and then Miss Julie, which I, the Lee Woolman, uh, uh, Miss Julie, which I thought was wretchedly bad. Um, again, not his fault. I do think Jessica Chastain is particularly terrible in, uh, in Miss Julie, but other people I know liked it better than me. So, like, maybe, you know, uh, whatever. He makes the lobster with the Orgus Lanthimos in 2015. That rules. 2016, he, um, uh, memorably is in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the first Fantastic Beasts movie, and at the end of the movie is revealed to be Johnny Depp in a sort of weird Dr. Parnassus-esque like (laughs) reunion where all of a sudden two of the Dr. Parnassuses end up body swapping at the end of Fantastic Beasts. Well, because what happens is he's playing one character who apparently, who like the notoriously evil Grindelwald in the lore of Harry Potter killed and then assumes the identity of, and then you realize at the end, the twist is that Grindelwald, who is played by Johnny Depp, has assumed this guy's identity. Yes. Which is just like super convoluted when it's like he could have maybe just had Colin Farrell. I'm glad that Colin Farrell was able to hop off that trolley at that point, though. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2017, we mentioned Sacred Deer, Beguiled, Roman J. Ezreal. 2018 is our beloved Widows, uh, which he's fantastic in. 2019, he's in Dumbo, uh, which people like. People like that Dumbo. I saw that and I remember nothing of it. Like, that was a movie I think I watched on Disney Plus in early pandemic. And don't recall very much about it at all it's sort of the forgotten live action remake when you talk about it's the one that didn't get nominated for oscars all of the disney live action remakes got nominated for some kind of oscar or another except for dumbo um he's in the the uh the guy Ritchie movie the gentleman which my dad asks me about once a month um have you (laughs) have you seen that movie the gentleman i still haven't seen it dad um he loves it most critics I know hated it. <laughs> um, Dad, I'm gay. <laughs> watching that movie. I will watch a, a, a dude's movie. I will uh, just not watch that one. Artemis Fowl, a movie that I believe, if you check my Disney Plus, is still at like 54% watched. Um, <laughs> if you ever go to click on it, it will it will pick up right in the middle, because I've never finished Artemis Fowl. Um, oh, Ava, the Jessica Chastain movie Ava. That Isn't Taylor that a Tate Taylor movie? Never saw that. I always meant to check it out and see what it was about, but I never did. Um, they that... quietly snuck that onto Netflix what uh, if during I took the pandemic, cursed... and then I think it still was like number one on Netflix. What if I took a cursed Saturday afternoon and watched Red Sparrow and Ava back to back? 
<laughs> what if I just did that? Those two and that other. What's the other one with like Lupita Nyong'o and um, Fan Bingbing about? Uh, oh, the three fifty five. Yeah. What if I watched those three movies? Just boom, boom, boom. What a day! Oh, what a fun God. day! I, the three fifty five, which I still haven't seen. I love I really when you refer to see. movies as pretzel bites movies, but like all three of it's those a pretzel movies bites movie, are pretzel bites movies. What if I just yeah, like yeah. made pretzel bites at home? And and watch those three movies. That'd be fun. That'd be a fun day. Um, Much like the last voyage of Demeter was a pretzel bites movie. Sure, totally. He's in a Neil Berger movie called Voyagers in 2021 that I've not heard very much about at all. But apparently, Ty Sheridan and Lily Rose Depp and Finn Whitehead are all in this movie. What is this movie? Uh, Lost to the morass of uh, COVID. Yeah, but like that's weird. I don't know. It's a spring 2021 movie, and I it completely bypassed me. Um, he's also in After Yang, which is so good. And he's, he's in The Batman, which I still believe he's totally... That's a to-what-end movie. That is a complete to-what-end. Where, like, I get where people think he's a very entertaining penguin. I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze in that one. Like, I do feel like, thank God for his presence in that movie, because, mm. like... <laughs> it's I, fully it's fully like Colin Farrell in like uh unrecognizable makeup just giving like full stereotype of I'm walking here like what are you doing big guy He does like, do it's that so good. For me uh that is Robert Pattinson's jawline is that for me where it's like saving grace that like that at the very least I can just sort of like look at Robert Pattinson's jawline from underneath that cowl and like all right that's fine I would feel like for the Robert Pattinson-ness of that movie it would be like his brooding bangs because like that's well, very, yeah, but like, a lot of times these Leo DiCaprio bangs. Sure, but Joe a lot of times he's got the cowl doing dangling in front of our They're really faces, good bangs. Listeners. Also the Michael Giacchino score that borrows so heavily from Nirvana is really, really good. I really like it a lot. Um, after the Batman, he's in 13 Lives, the best Ron Howard movie in a decade that, like, nobody saw. Um, also, the best Ron Howard movie in a decade is a very low bar, so, like, don't get too excited. But I still, mean, it's a good movie. You're talking about, like, C-minus material. Right. No, 13 yeah. Lives is a C-plus movie. Maybe even a B-minus movie. Like, it's not bad. It's it's solid. Um and then Banshees of Inisherin, which he finally gets Oscar nominated. And there we go. In that stretch, he was also in a whole ass season of True Detective, which was like the bad the one. The season everybody The season know. everybody hated, but everybody really liked him. He was again, he's never the bad part of a thing that's bad. Um one of the darkest things that I thought recently was I should actually watch that, maybe? Because <laughs> it's all it's like a lot of people that I really like and you know. He's also in... I just got a morbid curiosity recently. He's also in a BBC miniseries in 2021 called The North Water that was directed by Andrew Hay and starred him and Jack O'Connell. I don't think it's available stateside or something. Probably I, not. I, I, I did come across that recently and I was like, what the hell is this? Exactly. And I don't. I couldn't find it. It's about a whaling expedition in the 1800s. Hell yeah, master and commander with, you know, some hot guys. With Jack O'Connell and Colin Farrell? Yes, I will watch that. Um, Yeah, man. Maybe we were talking about this in our last episode, the Moby Dick episode. Uh, UK listeners, if you've forgiven us for all the various times I've 
misidentified British people as Irish, uh, or Irish people as British is most likely. Um, get at us with if you've seen um, uh, The North Water, because it sounds interesting. Andrew, hey. It sounds like something I would watch even if it wasn't interesting. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Back to Killing of a Sacred Deer. What else? We're, we've, we've been talking about Its biggest for a while. traction on the awards front is two nominations at Indie Spirits. It's nominated for cinematography. It loses to Call Me By Your Name. And it's nominated for Barry Keoghan, losing to Sam Rockwell for um, three Bill Awards. This was a very connected to the Oscars uh, Indie Spirit Awards. Obviously, um, uh, Shape of Water was not eligible, nor was uh, Gary Oldman for uh, Darkest Hour, but like everything else was uh, Oscar nominated that won. Francis McDormand, Sam Rockwell, Alison Janney. Um, Get Out wins Best Feature, and Jordan Peele wins Best Director, and those are good things, and Greta Gerwig wins Screenplay for Lady Bird. So it's like, it's not bad. They're not bad things, but like, it would have been neat if Barry Keoghan had won uh supporting male he was never going to but like that's another one benny softy was nominated for good time that to me i think that i'm not gonna be like soapboxy but i do feel like there's something offensive to me about that performance uh i don't think that that nomination is great i don't understand whatever i sound like an asshole when i talk about him i understand it I, i get it but like i don't understand everybody's need to elevate this guy so far beyond his talent level as an actor. I thought he was pretty good in, in Margaret in are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. Everybody's going way overboard about him in Oppenheimer. Like he's he just, terrible in Oppenheimer. I don't, I, I don't even need to say he's terrible. It's just like, it's, he's not one of the, five best performances that I'm seeing some people say. Like, that's not in one of the ten best performances. There's so many good performances in Oppenheimer. Like, why are we why are we propping up Benny Softie? Like, I don't understand it. Like, My original non-Best in Show the first time, I, I just saw it in 70mm IMAX. I, I don't feel like I should brag because I crossed state lines to go and see it. Though. No, it I would brag. Like Do it. Big nerd. Um, uh, wasn't my idea. I went with a friend. Um, uh, <laughs> Originally, my MVP from Oppenheimer, that's not Killian Murphy. Killian Murphy is just so incredible. In Transcendent, um, yep. Uh, was Macon Blair. And then yeah, you love the second Blair. watch. I was like, Macon Blair actually isn't in that much. He's movie. really not. Uh, but he. But I do think he is giving such a good energy that's not present anywhere yeah. else. I mean, I think it's Matt Damon. I love Matt Damon. Ma- Matt Damon. I in kind movie. of struggled with Matt Damon, which isn't to say that I think he's bad, but and maybe I need to see it again to me really lock into him being the funny one because, like, there were absolutely scenes in that movie, especially the one that's in the trailer, where it's like, "How about because this is the most important thing that ever happened in the history of the world?" Where he sounds exactly like his character in that Thirty Rock episode where they're on the airplane <laughs> and he and Liz Lemon are arguing. You know better, Carol. You built that bookshelf incorrectly. I did not. I wanted the books to slide off. Also, the it, context of that line in the trailer and in the movie are it's true. so completely different. Because in the it trailer, it's like, "Okay, Matt Damon." but then in the movie it's funny it like, fits it fits more you're yeah, right you're right yeah. i i do wish matt damon was being talked about i was getting like the type of credit that robert downey jr is getting because i do think matt damon's better in that movie i know that people don't like matt damon and like i 
I, I think Downey equally Jr. annoyed by Matt Damon, but he is, you know, I think, I think part of it is that it's so nice that Downey Jr. is acting again, but it's also, I think Downey Jr. is really good in that movie. My favorite supporting performances are, and this is maybe me being me and you can like scoff at me and whatever. Um, I think Alden Ehrenreich rules. I think Dane DeHaan is perfectly cast. I did really I, more gloss onto Alden Ehrenreich on the second watch. He's so good. Um, I think Downey Jr. is fantastic. I love, obviously, David Krumholtz is so, so good. Um, I mean, those are the ones that really, like, jump out to me. And obviously, Emily Blunt in the one scene, in the scene where she's giving her testimony to Jason Clark. Jason Clark also actually rules. He's just playing, like, Jason Clark is such an underrated actor. What a good yeah, actor. He's really good. But, like, Emily Blunt in the in the scene where she's uh facing off with him it's a good scene i just think that a lot of that performance is affectation i don't disagree but i think it it comes together i i will give a performance a lot of leeway if it comes together in the end in the way that it does for this i think she's so good in the last hour of that movie so is Megan Blair. (laughs) okay um anyway killing of a sacred deer great movie Um, Wait, let me go through my notes because I know I have other things. Yeah, yeah. Um, There has to be some completely warped things that they say in this movie that we haven't gotten to. Why are they watching Groundhog Day? What's your theory? (laughs) What does that say? What is Yorgos trying to tell us? I mean, probably because they could afford the rights to it. Um. (laughs) Well, it's also the scene, though, where uh, she's telling him. It's the one where he's trying to tell her, I am a god. That's why. That's why. Well, because he's telling also, her that I am a god, and she's like, "You're not a god." You know, like this movie is so much like, uh, especially American domesticity, and it's like, what do you do after you've just had dinner, uh, mom, dad, and son? You watch a '90s comedy. You watch a '90s like, comedy. Yeah. Um, it's not just that Nicole Kidman is watering the bushes at night, but she's also smoking. smoking. She's watering the dish, the, watering the bushes, watering the dishes too, watering the bushes with one hand and smoking with the other hand. It's perfect. Um, I did write down, can I have your MP3 player when you're dead? Please, please, please. Um, ba, 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 ba. Uh, da, 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 da. Dad, oh. he's your best friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you know that in real life, um, Yorgos Lanthimos is a former professional basketball player, and he's that his fa- like super tall. So I and that his that. father was like on the Greek Olympic basketball team. Sure, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yorgos Lanthimos, when you like see him in interviews, is so much more normal than you would expect him to be. Like right. he's not this like weird Rumpelstiltskin Verhoeven type character. That you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're like, not that Verhoeven seems like very handsome man. But like Verhoeven, you listen to him and you're like, oh, you're a maniac. You're like, you're yeah, so Yeah, Verhoeven fun. is just like, but you're out of so your fucking listen, mind. So listen, here we yeah. are. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Uh, Yorgos Lanthimos. I don't. Maybe I've just never watched interviews with him, even though I'm obsessed with his work. But like, he's just kind of chill. I don't really have yeah. an observation about his. Behavior. I just feel like you could you he's could carry on a conversation. Uh, Sometimes with film directors, it feels like if I ever was across a table from you, you would like 
burn me down with your laser beam eyes or something. You know what I mean? Or like, or you would just be like the weirdest person. And like Yorgos Lanthimos somewhat, not somewhat, like quite unexpectedly, seems like somebody you could just sort of like talk about movies with and it would be like fine. Or like talk about people with and he wouldn't like really creep you out about his views about people like you know what i mean like it's, <laughs> he's uh it's he's clearly not not a softy like that's yeah I, I love that single tear rolling down his cheek when olivia coleman got her that's oscar. the thing watch olivia coleman win an oscar and look at his face he looks like no one's gonna top emma stone's face for like joy on behalf of somebody you know like emma stone is about ready to shatter into a million pieces she's so happy for olivia <laughs> she, coleman she's about to burst into a million stars but yorgos is so happy for her it's so lovely um all right all right all right um poor things premiering poor things. in venice i'm so very excited. excited for this movie i'm so excited apparently Ruffalo's really good in it too. So that is a thing that I have heard. Um I'm willing to it believe looks, it. That trailer looks so much not what I was expecting out of this movie and out of Yorgos. Like it's so like it's it's there's there's a little bit of Terry Gilliam in it. There's a little bit of Bram Stoker's Dracula in it a little mm-hmm. bit. Like all of it is very, very fascinating and interesting to me. So I'm excited. I'm so excited. Probably won't see it till December, but coming this Christmas. Fun coming... for the whole family. Totally. All right. Um, do you have any closing thoughts before we move uh on? Killing of Sacred Deer, good movie. Good movie. Very good movie. Um, yeah, I love it. Iconic Cincinnati cinema. Uh, yeah. Good for yeah. you, Ohio. All right. <laughs> Joe, explain what the IMDb game is for our listeners. Well, every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game. And what we do there is we challenge each other with an actor or actress and try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we mentioned that up front. After two wrong guesses, we will get the remaining titles release years as a clue. And if that is not enough, it becomes a free-for-all of hints. That's the IMTB game. Would you like to give or guess first? I'll guess first. Okay, so I went into the very surprisingly vast uh, Yorgos Lanthimos actor filmography. Lots of actors in his movies. He's lured in a lot of people. But uh, Mm -hmm. for poor things, you just mentioned he's supposed to be very good in it. And I chose for you Mark Ruffalo. Oh, okay. Mark Which who Ruffalo. apparently we've never really done. Maybe because we've done so many Ruffalo movies. I don't know. Well, what this tells me is my my assumption that we would never have done Ruffalo is because his filmography would have been all Avengers movies, which tells me that it's not all Avengers movies anymore. Not necessarily. Well, remember how in the beginning of the podcast we used to say if there was uh, Marvel or... Marvel or Harry Potter, Harry we Potter, do And we yeah. stopped doing it because they stopped showing up. They filter but out a little I'm bit. I'm not saying that it's not there. My guess is that it, there's one max. One at most. I'm... Well, I'll wait to guess that. You have, I have to guess good... what the movie is for me to right. Oh, I know. I'll it. wait. I'll wait to guess which one specifically because it's one of two. Um, I'm gonna guess Foxcatcher. Foxcatcher, Oscar-nominated performance. Foxcatcher. All right. Um, 
He's also nominated for Spotlight, which won Best Picture, so I'll also say Spotlight. Oscar-nominated performance, Spotlight. <laughs> he's second billed in You Can Count On Me, but he's also not Oscar-nominated, and that's also a long time ago by this point. So I don't know if I'm going to do that. What are other... 13 going on 30 is an option. He's almost certainly second build in that, and that's a very popular movie. Yeah, 13 going on 30. Incorrect. Damn. Well, I'm just going to say his other nominated role, and and then we'll move on from there. Uh, Kids are all right. All three of his Oscar nominations are really? he's known for. The kids are all right. Okay, so one more to go. It's probably one of his Avengers movies. It's either going to be the first one or Endgame. He's definitely... Well, no, he's in a lot of Endgame. He's Svelte, Svelte Hulk... I'm going to guess the first Avengers movie. Correct. The Avengers. All right. Okay. All All three of his Oscar nominations and the Avengers. I don't know if I would have guessed Foxcatcher, but that that makes sense. I feel like Foxcatcher has shown up for other people, if I'm not mistaken, which is why I went for that one first. Um, All right. That's cool. Okay. For you, I picked somebody who is in uh, Yorgos Lanthimos' The Favorite. Uh, who I think is quite good in that movie, actually. Um, so literally anyone in the movie? I was going to say, that movie's packed with great performances, and he's probably like my fourth favorite performance, but still, he's so good. Uh, Nicholas Holt. Nicholas Holt should have been nominated for that movie. Yeah. Um, About a Boy. Yes. That one yeah. I thought you would have some trouble with, because he's no. such, such a little, such a wee boy. Baby Spock himself, Nicholas Holt in About a Boy. Um <laughs> I don't uh, I don't know if the favorite's going to be there or not. Nicholas Holt has also had a good weird set of movies. He also has X-Men First Class, which shows up for a lot of people. I'm going to say X-Men First Class. Not X-Men First Class. Dang. Okay. Maybe that movie's time has passed. Um, the favorite. No, not the okay, favorite. So shit. that's two strikes. So your years are pretty easy. 2013, 2014, 2015. Oh. 2013. So those are in quick succession. None of them are X Men movies. I'm guessing if it's not first class. Did he even come back for those damn things? Oh, so some of the. So there are going to be uh, Days of Future Past. Is that what that's called? X Men Days of Future Past is one there of them. You that's go. your that's your 2014. Um, what's the? It's not Red. Dragon, he came back right? for all of them. He was in all of those, by the way. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, well, no, the X Men movies weren't that quickly back to back. They were not. Um, I just wanted to say that, like, you, he was in all of this. Oh, maybe that's why he doesn't have the career he deserves. Um, it's possible. He was stuck making those shitty movies. Um, uh, uh, it's not like what's the what's the Oscar Isaac one the. Apocalypse? Age of uh, X-Men Apocalypse, yes. That's correct? Or no. it, that's oh, no. the movie? No, it's no, no other no. X-Men movies. No other your, X-Men. your assumption okay. was right. Yeah. Um 
So what else is he doing around this time? Isn't there some movie called, like, Kill the Something that he's in? Oh, he is. Oh, um, A Single Man. No, No, not A Single Man. That's 2009? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I got that after I... Yeah, he's in a movie came out of my mouth. I was like, to kill your friends, which kill your is... oh. Hold on, I lost it. I had it, and then I lost got it. it. Um, um, that's not one of them. I'm just saying that. What Nicholas Holt movies am I forgetting? It's got to be stuff that like he's not in Jumper, but he was in movies that like Jumper. that were like Jumper. Um, oh, he's like the lead in Kill Your Friends, right? 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 right. Yeah. Um. I guess I'm thinking of things that he would be the lead in. And I guess we're not. I will say he's the lead in one of them and he's not the lead in the other one. Right. I'm going to need some hints. Okay. Hints. Um, look to the Oscar nominees for one of them. For the other one, it's a, it's a genre movie that like guts, like, People definitely saw it and talked about it, but it's like it probably has slipped your memory if you've ever seen it at all. What was the what year was Days of Future Past? Fourteen. So I'm looking at 2013 and 2015. Yes. <sighs> okay. Which year is the Oscar one? 2015. 2015. So that is he's not in spotlight. He's not in. Oh, duh, Mad Max Fury Road. That's Mad Max Fury God, Road. which he um, also should have been Oscar nominated for. He's so good. In he's that. so good. God, Nicholas Holt is such a good actor. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting that The Great is not on there. But then again, I don't think a yeah. lot of people watch The Great. But the people that watch The Great love The Great. So yes. Um, uh, Twenty thirteen. Did you know, be- did you know because of The Great, he had to drop out of the most recent Mission Impossible movie? Upgrade. Which, well, but which I, I read that it's, it was the, did you see Mission Impossible? So wait, he dropped out of Dead Reckoning? He dropped out, he had to drop out of Dead Reckoning to film the last Who replaced season. him? Shea Wiggum? No, like. apparently what I read was Isai Morales, which makes no sense given the background that that character has with Tom Cruise's character. I mean... I would love to know if I just read incorrect information or, um... Or they, like, reconceptualized that character, or what? So he's the lead in a 2013 movie. This would have been after he was cast as Beast. Yeah. But before Mad Max Fury Road. It's a specific type of genre movie that if I tell you the specific part, you'll probably get it right away. So I want to see if I can make you guess. Um, Teresa Palmer is in it. So it's a horror movie. Yeah. Well, yeah. Horror and other and another genre, and a couple other genres. It's like a horror comedy. Uh huh. What kind of a comedy? Vampire comedy. No. What kinds of comedies are there? Funny ones. Um. No, but like, what's like a type of comedy? Like a spoof. There are gross-out comedies, and there are spoofs, and there are. Bro comedies. There's sure. What's a what's the opposite of a bro comedy? A chick comedy. 
Yeah, what are those called? Girl comedies. Rom yeah, comedies. Like, yes, rom comedies. <laughs> the the great genre, the rom comedy. Um, Romantic comedy, it's a genre. What rom com is he in that he would be a lead in? Well, it's not just rom com. What did we establish was the genre? A horror. Oh, this is Warm Bodies. It's Warm Bodies. There you totally go. Totally forgot about Warm Bodies. That's what I figured. Yes. It's fine. He's good in it. He's, you know, sure. it's. It, I wanted that to be more of. I wanted it to be funnier and scarier and more romantic than it was. So uh, Teresa uh, Palmer, what a moment! I like. I still like Teresa Palmer. I've always, I've liked her in every single thing I've ever seen her in. Um, and it never Very quite appealing. jumped off for her, which is too bad. All right, all right, we did it. The killing of a it. sacred deer. That's our episode. If you want more, this had Oscar buzz. You can check out the Tumblr. This had Oscar Follow us on Twitter at. Ha- at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz on Instagram at this had Oscar buzz and also at Patreon, patreon.com slash this had Oscar buzz. Come join us. We'll get you two bonus episodes every month. We're having a good time. We've got a lot of things in the works. We're hoping to, you know, give our listeners a good old grand time. Joe, where can the listeners find more of you? Uh, Twitter and letterboxd at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I am also on Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance, and the great Taylor Cole for our new theme music. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get those podcasts. Five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So uh, you can't leave until you've tried our tart and left us a review. <laughs> uh, that's all for this week. We hope you'll be back next week with more buzz. Bye.